We're going to be in 1 Samuel 17, if you want to turn there. And so these songs that we've been singing, are they're very strategic. I mean, it's every week strategic, right? Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament for the month of July. And so kind of those songs, these big war cry kind of songs, we're going to look at some stories where God did some like really just amazing things. And some of these are going to be ones that... Um, that probably, if you grew up in church, you probably studied some of these. Uh, these are ones that um, maybe if you were in kids' Sunday school from my generation, there was a there was like set up like a felt board. Remember the felt board, and they would put out as the different characters would get introduced, they'd put the felt up there, and they would kind of you know that kind of thing. And then now they have like Veggie Tales, which is far more interesting than a felt board. But if it's good enough for VeggieTales, it's good enough for us. So we're going to look at uh, Jonah and the giant fish. We're going to look at the, the fiery furnace, Daniel and the lion's den. And today we're going to look at David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. And, you know, these songs are not, these songs, these stories are not for kids only. You know, some of them are actually a little too violent for kids when you start looking at it a little bit. But God did these things, and they're recorded in the scriptures, and they're, because they're stories and they're narratives, you know, like kids can grab onto them, you know, pretty easily. But for us as adults, you know, we, there's stuff in here for us too. And so we're going to spend this month just looking at some of these kind of famous Old Testament stories. And we're going to start with, with this one in 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to read some parts of it, and I'm going to summarize some other parts of it, because it's kind of long. Um, so here's the, here's the situation in 1 Samuel 17. You have, you have two kind of mountainside hill kind of things. Um, and the, uh, the Israelite army is posted up on one, on one hillside, and the Philistine army is on the other side, and there's a valley in between them. And they're, they're both just kind of staring each other down. You know, we've all seen enough like old school war movies where we kind of understand what's happening. They're, they're all just looking at each other and they're not quite ready to fight, but uh, everyone, everything is kind of tense. And that's the situation. Um, and the Philistine army, you know, was really, really skilled, really good. And they were fighting over uh, this really key piece of real estate, which is what most wars are fought over, right? And so it's a very important situation. And so what the Philistines had as their weapon was this champion named Goliath. Now, Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall, you know. Probably always struggled that he never made ten feet, you know. Probably always dealt with that. Um, and, uh, but to be nine feet nine is pr- taller than my head would be to, to the ground here. Like, just a massive person. And they describe how heavy his armor was and everything. So he wasn't like a beanpole. Like, he was like big, broad warrior. And they said that he was their champion, and what that meant was that they would have you know, these two armies, instead of them colliding and fighting, they would say, let's each send out our best man, let them duke it out, and then whoever wins, that'll be the way that it goes, so that less people have to die. So he was their champion. He was the one they would send out. Now granted, if we had a nine foot nine warrior, I'd send that dude out too. And apparently he was super good at fighting and very scary. And so for 40 days, every morning, every night, he went out and proclaimed this. Look at verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, and this is the big, big point to remember, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So he comes down every morning and every evening for 40 days and yells something to that effect, basically picking a fight and challenging them. And the Israelites were a bunch of chickens up on a countryside, not sure what to do about it. And they were all nervous. And every day he would come out and mock them and laugh at them. So uh, then, then David enters into the story. So David, who would go on to be King David, like the David that we all know from the, from the book of Psalms, those kinds of things. David was the youngest uh, of, of a group of sons. His three older brothers were old enough to go off and fight on the Israelite side. So they were, his brothers were up on the, the Israelite hillside being all afraid and whatever. Uh, David was too young to necessarily go and fight. And he kind of had to take care of like the family uh, flock. And so David was a shepherd. That was his profession. And so David would go back and forth. He would tend to the flock, kind of get them all settled in. And then he would bring food and stuff to his brothers up on the, in, on the hillside kind of check on and make sure everything's cool, report back to dad, that kind of thing. Um, so David was going back and forth. And so for, you know, over these 40 days, you know, who knows what he heard. But one day he found, he must have been there either when Goliath said it or someone was talking about it. And so he picks up on what's happening. And uh, look at verse 26. This is David's reaction to hearing what Goliath had the nerve to say. David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes the reproach away from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Look at that last line. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? By calling him an uncircumcised Philistine, uh, that, was, that was an insult. That was him basically saying... Um, why would this person who is not one of God's people come and challenge God's people? Like, why, why are we sitting by and letting this happen? Like, who's, who's going to do something about this? Like, this, this cannot stand. Um, overall, David just refused to stand by and let God be insulted. That's kind of what's happened. So he, he hears this insult, and he's like, why is no one doing anything? I might, just be, I might be just a kid, but, I mean, shouldn't someone go out there and, uh, you know, handle up on this dude like you don't talk about our god like to insult the army of god was to insult god himself it was all one one thing and so why in the world would that be allowed to stand because the nation of israel represented god on the earth and um as someone who was entrusted with the name of god david was ready to act He's like, no, we, we bear the name of God. Why, we, we don't sit back and just let this happen. And so uh, David, you know, apparently uh, made a name for himself in his, like, rant. And it got back to Saul, who was the king. Look, jump down to verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. So Saul sent for him and said, let no, uh, David said to Saul, and I love this courage. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, talking about himself, your servant will go and fight with, with this Philistine. And so Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. 
David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. First of all, um, you know, there are these Old Testament stories, a lot of times they're, they're narratives. They aren't necessarily saying that you should do this. So if a bear comes after you, do not grab him by the beard. Do not grab a lion by the beard. But David looks at this and he's like, it's, this is not any different than what I've done before. But the really remarkable thing is what he says at the end. The Lord, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He's like, it's a no-brainer. And this is really the, the remarkable aspect of the story and probably the, the main point. When I was a kid, um, I, I, had a, I had this, I was with, at my grandparents' house one day, I was sitting with my grandfather and I had this book and I sat down with him and I was like too young to be able to read. And... Um, I sat down with this book and I read him this entire story. And he thought I was a genius. Like he really was like, this kid is special. This kid should, is not, she's not be able to read. And he read me this whole book. What he didn't know is that I had a cassette tape of the book that I listened to all the time. And I had memorized it. And when my parents explained to him, he's not a genius, no genius. Uh, he, he memorized the book and my grandfather said, well, that's, must be why he went beep between every, every page. Um, but growing up, though, with, with this story, to me, the miracle was always what happens after this. Uh, and the spoiler is, like, in one, he has a slingshot, and he slings, and he hits him in the forehead, and it kills him. And I was always like, that's the, this miraculous shot. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is what we just saw is that here is this unwavering confidence in the Lord based on what he has seen God do already. He says, he saved me from lions and from bears and from whatever, and this is not going to be any different. I've seen him do this, and he will do it again. That's the typical application of, a, of this story is, what are the giants in your life that you're facing? And I don't think that's a bad application. What are these impossible odds that you're up against? And uh, how, what's your perspective going to be? But the key to that isn't, are you going to face this giant or not? The, the takeaway point is David wasn't focused on Goliath. He was focused on the name of the Lord and the presence of God with him and God's ability to rescue him as he had done before. Too many times when it comes to facing those big things, we are obsessed with those big things. And when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we, live, that we walk by faith and not by sight, he's, saying not, he's really saying you, 
sight has a certain role, you know, the circumstances, the odds, you know, the, the massiveness of Goliath, all those kind of things. It plays a role, but we walk by faith. What does it mean to walk by faith? Our faith is very much informed. We do not have a blind faith. I don't know where that phrase came from, but our faith is not blind. Our faith is incredibly informed. We know so much about the power of God and the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and all these things about God. And so the point here is that David was just not worried about what he was seeing because he was focused on, on what he had already experienced God doing. And said, if all of you have forgotten the faithfulness and the power of God, then y'all stay here on this hillside, but I'll, I'll go. I'm not afraid of this because I've seen God do it before. And so to truly grasp the spirit of the story, you have to make sure that the focus of the story is the Lord and not Goliath and not David and not the slingshot and not any of the other things. The point of this is the Lord as we have been singing about today. So look at verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. Because David didn't you know, have armor. So Saul puts his on him. Puts on a helmet of, bronze, uh, helmet of bronze on his head and clothes him with a coat of mail. Um, David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried to go. He tried in vain to go. But he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So he took them off. He says, look, this armor is great, but I'm not, this is not how I've, I've never used this before. You know, this is not going to work for me. Verse 40, he took his staff in his hand. And chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in this shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and as he approached the Philistine. He goes out there with the tools of a shepherd because that is what he does for a living. And so like in Psalm 23, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the, the staff was kind of the caregiving uh, instrument. And the rod, it would be like a club. They always had something that they could uh, throw or sling. Something to be able to, to throw at predators that would go away. And so he took what shepherds take. Whenever they're going out to protect the flock, he said, this is, this, is, this is who I am. This is what I've been trained to do. This is my profession. Verse 41, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he uh, disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, said, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now, that's a speech. And any kids in here, you need to know, it's not how you handle a playground bully. But there's a confidence that is here. There's no self-promotion here. He could, have, he could have, though. He could have walked out there and made it all about him. And he's like, no, everything that's about to go down here is, is for one reason. It's, it's to show you who God is. That's, that's the whole point. So verse 48. 
When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, he ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his, his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran over and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. They fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. So there's the story. Little David, big Goliath. The point of the story is not big Goliath or little David. The point of the story is the faithfulness of God on display. That if you're going to live by faith and not by sight, the point of that is that you are more focused on the Lord than you are anything else. That that is what we are called to. That's who he has made us. So that's the big idea. But there there are two other takeaways I want to mention for a few minutes. Two other things that are in the story that, um, that I think are really just, I don't know, timely maybe for the day and age that we live in that are good reminders, good challenges, some other things I think we're supposed to take away maybe as secondary points. Here's the, here's the first one. That bearing the name of God was something that David took seriously. Like bearing the name of God was something that David took seriously. Verse 26 In his in in his in that moment, he's like, "Why are we not doing anything?" He says, "What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God?" He looked around at his fellow Israelites, and he was frustrated because. They were not taking seriously the fact that their God was being insulted. And them, as the people of God, were also being insulted. He's like, this is not something that we should stand for. Now, I know that a modern application can be a little tricky. And it's not really like a one-to-one application. So I'm, I'm very aware that, uh, that it isn't like, we should do the same thing. We should fight everyone who says something about Jesus. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I do think that there is something... For us, in this idea of bearing his name. So you, you bear his image. And I talk about that a lot. That you're made in the image of God the way that, that a child is made in the image of their parents. That we bear that image. And that sin has broken that image and Jesus is restoring that image. And that every person on the planet that has ever lived deserves dignity and respect because of whose image they bear. We, this should determine how we treat people. This should determine a lot of things about the way Christians conduct themselves with people who are not like them or different than them or whatever. Uh, there has to be dignity and respect because they also bear the same image. They are worthy of that. God says they are worthy of that. But you also bear his name. You bear his image and you bear his name. That when you were, 
Um, when you're adopted into his family, you got a new name. Now we know, our, we're familiar with name changes, and name changes happen in, in two realms. Name changes happen in the kingdom of the world that we live in, and name changes happen in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of our world, we're familiar with, with it. Um, a couple gets married, and there's a legal name change that happens uh, for the wife. She immediately runs out and begins to have embroidered her new initials on things, right? Right? It's true. That name change is important. If someone uh, has a, a really difficult family background, they are emancipated from their family, they may go and illegally change their name. We see that happen. Um, uh, Meghan Markle, for example. Not that she had a bad family. Meghan Markle was a, an actress, a model. She begins to date Prince Harry. They get married. And now, do you know what her name is? Meghan. Duchess of Sussex. She doesn't even have a last name. None of those royal family people have last names. They just go by their titles and, and, their, and their first name. If you hear her, if, like when people refer to Kate Middleton, it's, that's her maiden name. So she'll either go by Meghan Markle or Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, or just Meghan. Name changes are familiar with us. We, we watch that happen all the time in, in here. But, and and as, as good as a name change can be, like those things... Whenever a, a young lady gets married and, and there's, a, there's a legal name change and the letter embroidery thing changes or, or whatever, whatever goes on, that's like an important thing. If you are emancipated from your family and you're able to distance yourself from that pain and you change your name, those are important things. Um, but those name changes do not bring about the change of identity. It, they just change your name. Then the kingdom of our world, you change your name, it doesn't change your identity. But in the kingdom of God, when you get a new name, it signifies the change of identity. So Meghan Markle, was her identity no different when she was Meghan Markle than now she is Meghan, Duchess of Sussex. Which I really like saying. No different one day to the next. And if, God forbid, something happens with her and Prince Harry and they get divorced and she goes back to just being plain old Meghan Markle, Duchess of nothing, uh, her identity will not have changed through all that. Not her, not like the, the identity that God has given her. Your name changes don't mess with that. But in the kingdom of God, his name changed to you does change your identity. No earthly name change can change your identity because the world is not what gives you your identity in the first place. That is not what defines you. So if you get married, ladies, and your last name changes, that does not define you. If you emancipate yourself from your family and you change your name to distance yourself from them, that is not a defining thing. That's a descriptive thing. It's a describing thing. But when God gives you a name, it signifies that he has changed something about you. It's that identity. And we see names are very important in the Bible. And apparently, I'm going to read this verse to you 
Uh, I, I don't know what this verse means. I don't know if anyone really knows what it means. This is in, in Revelation 2.17. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So what, what I take that to mean is that when I was resurrected as a new creation and adopted into the family of God, that he gave me a new name to go with my new identity. That in the kingdom of the world, I did, my name was the same, the same before I was saved and after I was saved. I've gone by the same thing, and that's, that's fine. But in the kingdom of heaven, when I cross from death into life, into his family as a new creation, he says, you're not who you used to be. I have a new name for you. I'm going to write it on this stone. In the first century, those white stones, they, they had kind of two significances. One, it could be like your... your uh, like your ticket to get into like a like a exclusive gathering, you'd have a white stone, and that's how you got into these like whatevers. Or in a court proceeding, if when you were guilty, you were handed a white stone to show your innocence. And so when I was adopted into that family as a new creation in Christ, he's like, okay, you're you're not who you used to be, so I'm going to give you this new name. I'm going to write on this white stone, and I'm going to give it to you one day, and it's going to be awesome. And that everyone who is in Christ, I think, there is a name that he has given you that is only for you. And there will come a moment when Jesus, I think, is going to hand you this stone. And you're going to see that name. And you're going to (laughs) cry. And you're going to hug him. And he's going to hug you. But he already calls you by that name. He already knows what your name is. Kingdom of the world, our name changes do not affect our identity. But in the kingdom of God, he says you're not the one you used to be to the point where I'm not even going to call you that because the old has passed away and the new has come. You have a new name. So when we bear the name, the family name that we were adopted into and the name given to us, when we take that seriously like David did, it, it drives us differently through life. Like it, it, changes, it changes something. Apparently the disciples took this very seriously. Like the, when you start to read through the book of Acts, like it was not a joke to them. They bear the name. So much so that they earned a nickname. It was, it's called Christian they, they so seriously took this identity in Christ that they were acting like him, believing in him, associated with him, that, that the, in Antioch, they, they just named him that. Christian means little Christ. And that's those little Christs. If they were Cajun, they would just put a T in front of it. Just T-Christs. <laughs> That's how seriously they took it is that they're like, they earned them a a reputation around town. Christians. And it changed the world. It changed the world. 
And so us taking this seriously could be what changes our world, global world, our city, our communities, our homes, whatever you want to think of that. But bearing the name, whether you realize it or not, like whether you realize it or not, you are carrying that name with you. You bear his image, you bear his name, and everywhere you go, he is leading you in triumphal procession, showing you off everywhere. And that is a reason to hold our heads high. That is a reason to, to pray differently, to conduct ourselves differently, not, not in a behavior modification kind of way, but realizing, no, that's, that's not who I am anymore. This world is not my home. I'm not the one I used to be. Why would I conduct myself by, my, by my, the old name that I bear when I bear his name? And so here's David, this kid, There's all these warriors on this hillside shaking in their boots. And he's like, who do you think you are? Do you not realize whose name we bear? And I don't know how that fits into like your daily life. I don't think it'll be as dramatic as this story. But man, to walk, to walk through life, knowing who we are, what what a gift. No wonder David was a man after God's own heart. This whole army is obsessed with this giant down there in front of him. And he's like, do you know who God is? Do you know who we are because of who God is? That perspective. Perhaps uh, it is something that we need to think more about. The significance of what it means to bear his name. Second thing, final point. This is going to seem like a reach, but whatever. You're already here, so may as well do it. Is that David immediately saw an opportunity to honor the Lord through his profession. He immediately saw an opportunity to honor the Lord through his profession. Verse 36 says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. For he's defied the armies of the living God. You know, there, there really wasn't anything supernatural about what David did in the battle. Now, it was a good shot, obviously. He took three stones because he, he's like, Meh. it may take me more than once. There wasn't a miracle. He's just doing what he was trained to do. He's like, yeah, I've grown up doing this. This is... This is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, the dude's huge, right? Like, I'm going to keep my distance. I'm not going to hit him with with the staff, you know. But just do what I'm trained to do. I'm not saying it wasn't awesome, but it wasn't a miracle. Because he saw an opportunity for his profession to be a way that he could honor the Lord. When studying through this story, I just I kept thinking about the connection between profession and mission. Like what you do for a living and the mission that is ours as his people. Um, and when I say profession, you know, I, I'm talking about like how you, how you spend your work week. How you spend your like nine to five, Monday to Friday. Like what's that looking like? And it could be what you do. It could be what you hope to do or what you're studying to do, preparing to do or... 
Um, you could be in between jobs. You're waiting to do that again. I, I don't want to rule anyone out. And if you're retired or you're a stay-at-home mom or you're between jobs or you're a student, like everyone is included in this. So don't feel like I'm leaving anyone out. But, but God has given you a platform. Like everyone has a platform. I see that sometimes like when, in different settings where people are like, oh, I'm trying, just trying to build my platform, you know, so I can become of this or become of this or become of this. And I, I kind of get what they're saying, I guess. But God has given you a platform because you bear his name. You bear his image. You bear his name. So he has given you a platform. He's given you a, a, a place in society to, to like show off his good works through your life. And for most of us, what we do as a, like with our, in our work weeks and our professions, that is a part of that platform. It's part of that voice that he's given you. It's part of that presence that he's given you in our community. And so as someone who bears his name, if you're an employee... What, is, what does that look like? How, what does the intersection of profession and mission look like for you? If you're just doing what you were trained to do, how does that honor God? Well, some things as an employee, I mean, like working hard. <laughs> That's a good one, right? Honoring your boss. Having integrity in the way that you do things. Like these are, these are ways that your profession and your mission, our mission, intersect with each other. If you are a coworker, with, if you work with other people in any capacity, like the second commandment, right, is yours. Love your neighbor as one of your own, as if he's one of your own families. Like pay attention to their lives and, and love them. That is where profession and mission intersect. If you are a, a business owner, if you're a business owner, I'm not saying that you have to have like a Jesus fish on your logo or like, you know, anything like that. John 3.16 is your mission statement. You don't have to go to that extent. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But how you pay your employees, how you treat your employees, how you do business, like being a great boss, how you bring Jesus into things as much as you can your social media presence, your online, like all this kind of thing, all these ways that God has given you a platform as a business owner, you know, that's not a random thing. See, the nation of Israel was a platform for the globe. If you look on a map at where all the trade, trade routes were going, you know who, how you pretty much had, to, you know where you pretty much had to pass through to get from one side of the world to the other side of the world at, in that known world at that time? You had to go through Israel. Everyone went through Israel. The idea was, here's your platform. You are, you are like the melting pot. You are the crossroads over and over and over again that all these different religions and all these different people from all these other kind of places have to come through my people. And so you love them and you be hospitable to them and you talk about me as much as you, as much as you possibly can. All those things were there. But that was Israel's, like a part of what their purpose was. And so for us, God has scattered us around as em- employees, co-workers, employers. Uh, if you're retired, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a student, wherever all these platforms are, there's an intersection between our mission as ambassadors and what you do every single day. How you are trained, what you do, um, and how you conduct yourself. All that stuff is a way for that to happen in your life.
And so as someone who bears his image and bears his name and goes to work every day, I think coming before the Lord and saying, God, I, like, I want to be like David in the sense that I want to see it really, I want to see it clearly. Like he didn't hesitate for that opportunity. And probably some, some professions are probably easier to spot than others. You know, it's probably easier to get to that conclusion. But God has put you doing what you do for a reason. It's not random to him. And he knows exactly what the interweaving of mission and profession looks like for you. You just got to ask him. And I know that many of you have asked him and have asked him for a long time. But if that is not something that, that you have, have thought about very much or if it's kind of a peripheral issue for you, bring it to the center. That your mission and your profession intersect. That you bear the name of the only God that there is. And you bear his image. And he is proud to send you into a world that needs to know those things. And whatever, whatever it is that we're facing, we live by faith and not by sight. And that's by focusing on him and letting the things we're seeing or feeling or fearful of or whatever, let them take their rightful place as they just get really, really small in light of who he is. Now in a narrative, in like in a story like this, there's probably like all kinds of different application points. Maybe, maybe one grabs you more than something else. Maybe none of them did. Maybe it's some, something else in the story. I don't really know. But this is not for, uh, just for like kids, Bible studies, and veggie tales. The David and Goliath is for us. Like this, is a, this is a grown-up story. To be challenged by, to be invited into that kind of faith and that kind of love and that kind of hope. And so I hope that that... that through my like kind of random preaching style, that some of that has landed somewhere with you. And now it becomes a stewardship issue for you. Like if something jumped out at you, you got to do something with it. That's up to you. That's between you and the Lord. And so the way that we kind of like bring our services to a close every week is that we don't just like uh, end it. We try to give you some time to process it a little bit. And different people process in different ways. And so there's kind of four, four different rhythms that we go through. And you need to figure out for this particular moment, this particular day, what fits for you. You can sing. You can pray. If you want to come and kneel down here, you can come to the steps and pray. Some of our elders and staff will be here in the front row. They'd love to pray with you. If you want to, if you just like, come, someone, please, please pray for me about this. That'd be awesome. You can give. There's giving stations off on the side. If, if, if financially, if tithing is a way that you respond to what God's doing. And then we'll have two communion lines. Because whatever it is that you that want to say yes to, that God's stirring in you, you need to know that Jesus has already said yes to you about that. And when he is offering his body and his blood to you, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm in this. I've, I've already gone all in. And you're saying, I'm, I, I receive that. I know that. I, I believe that. I receive your yes, and I say yes back. And so you'll dip the, the bread in the juice, and they'll say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you, and you'll take that. And it is his body and his blood that makes all this possible. We would not be adopted into a family if he had not done this for us. So whether it's one of those things or a mixture of all those things, this is your time 
we'll sing a song or two and then uh, we'll, we'll close out. But be a, be a steward of this. Be responsible with this time. Uh, let me pray for us. Let's stand together as the band comes back. Let me, let me pray. God, we, we acknowledge that you are the hero of this story. It isn't David. It isn't his uh, sharp skills as a shepherd. The focus is not Goliath and how massive he was. That is you, you who chose David and anointed him, and you trained him as a shepherd, and you put him in this situation, knowing his heart, knowing what he wanted, for, which is for your glory, and you let him just prove you to be faithful. That's what we want to do. We don't want the credit. We don't want any of that stuff. We, we want to give that platform an opportunity, give that platform to you, and we see it as an opportunity for you to show off in our lives. And so as we all encounter various things, um, would you help us to live by faith? By placing our sight on you and your faithfulness and your goodness. So no matter what's going on with any life in here, we know that by your grace we're able to bear your name and your image in is being refined in us and we embrace that and we want to carry that forward and so whatever the whatever we go from here whatever these next few moments look like God help us to be responsible stewards of it we love you we pray this in your name amen alright the, the tables are open you can come when you're ready